This is Laura Lummer, the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. I'm a healthy lifestyle coach, a clinical Ayurveda specialist, a personal trainer, and I'm also a breast cancer survivor. In this podcast, we talk about healthy thinking and mindfulness practices, eating well, moving your body for health and longevity, and we'll also hear from other breast cancer survivors who have re-engaged with life and have incredible stories to share. This podcast is your go-to resource for getting back to life after breast cancer. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach Podcast. My name is Laura Lummer. I am your host. I am thrilled that you're listening to the show today. Welcome, welcome if you're a new listener and thank you for coming back if you're a regular listener. I hope you're doing well, staying safe and practicing some self-care. I know that this pandemic is really starting to take its toll on people um, going on a lot longer than most of us expected it would. And in addition, there's a lot of other unrest happening. So I really encourage you to take the time you need for self-care, finding peace of mind, connecting to others. I don't know that there's ever been a more important time to really work on staying connected to others. And I think that today's show will be helpful with that. And so before I get into it, I just want to thank you again for listening to the podcast. And I hope you don't get tired of me opening every show by saying thank you. But I really, really do appreciate your support. It means everything to me and to this show so that it can go on to help other survivors. So thank you. And I will continue to keep doing everything I can to make it worth your time to listen. Okay, so let's get into this show. If you listen to the podcast regularly, or if you've been to any of my webinars, you know that the foundation of my coaching is four pillars of breast cancer recovery. And one of those pillars is what I call regroup. This is a really important pillar because when we get through the surgeries, the radiation, the chemo, immunotherapy, hormone therapy, or whatever your treatment consisted of, the bottom line all of us, regardless of what we've been through, is that you faced your mortality and that that changes you. At some level, in some way, when we go through that, it changes all of us. In an article on surviving cancer that was published by Stanford Medicine, I thought they put it so well that I wanted to share it with you here. It says, and this is a quote, it doesn't matter if there's a 50% chance of a cure or an 80% or a 95%. As long as there's even a 5% chance that cancer is incurable, the emotional turmoil persists and the need to learn how to go on living in a purposeful way, despite fear and worry, remains. And it goes on to say that the role of loved ones and friends is especially important. They have to give you permission to share your worries and fears. And they can do this by encouraging you to tell them about your problems rather than turning off communication by trying to simply cheer you up. Giving blanket reassurance by saying everything will be okay sends the message that they want to hear only good things. They have to affirm that they are truly interested in you as an individual going through perhaps the most critical time of your life, unquote. I know that was a long quote, but I really wanted to share it with you because when I read it, it resonated so deeply with me and it aligns perfectly with how I coach people. So I love it 
Because in trying to protect our loved ones from worry, we quote unquote stay strong. And then to save themselves from worry and to protect us from thinking they're scared of losing hope, they quote unquote stay strong too. And I call that experience, I call that behavior creating the protective barrier. We're trying to protect each other, but we're putting a barrier, creating distance. And when that happens at the end of treatment, everyone has stayed strong, which we think means suppressing vulnerable emotions, vulnerability, which we also refer to as weakness. And that's a shame. It really is. You know, vulnerability is defined as the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed either physically or emotionally. And so just by definition, that's scary, right? I mean, of course it is because you're opening yourself up to potential pain, but it's anything but weak. It's not being weak. In fact, the definition of brave is being ready to face and endure danger or pain. And being courageous means not being deterred by danger or pain. So by the very definition of vulnerability and your willingness to step in and face it, it's a very brave and courageous thing to do. And that's why it's hard. Not because it's a weak thing. That's not what makes it hard. It takes a lot of strength to be vulnerable and to face that everything isn't okay with you. And it's okay to do that. It's totally okay to admit that things aren't okay. And it's also very freeing. It's such a relief to know that you can be happy that you're alive and grateful for every moment and still give yourself permission to work through some things that have happened to you and some things that are not okay with you anymore. And you may cringe a little bit when you hear that. You may resist that depending on how you were conditioned to think. Because we learn from a very young age to behave in certain ways. To be a big girl and don't cry or whatever else our parents and teachers and relatives and friends and society teaches us when we're kids. So when tears start to come, we always say, almost always, I would say 99.9% of the women that I work with, if the tears start to flow, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, I'm sorry. As if showing emotion is a bad thing. But the thing is that you're not a kid anymore. And so you don't have to adhere to that conditioned thinking. You now get to choose to think differently. If what you were taught as a child doesn't serve you now as a grown woman, if it doesn't result in you feeling the way you want to feel and creating the results you want to see in your life, you get to leave those thoughts behind. It's okay. And you get to think in a way that serves you. You get to choose to think in a way that serves you. I think about it like this. Holding in your emotions is kind of like holding in a sneeze because you you don't want to disturb whoever you're around, right? You're in a setting, in a meeting, at work or church, whatever, and you don't want to disrupt the speaker. And these days you don't want to make people think you have COVID. So you try to suppress that sneeze. But if you let that sneeze go, and it's going to come out no matter what, you can't make it completely stop, right? It's going to erupt no matter how hard you try to keep it in. But if you just allow it to go, it's such a release, right? A sneeze feels good, that full-on sneeze. 
And that same thing happens when you're being vulnerable. You get to drop that really heavy shield of being a warrior, and that in itself is a relief. But you also get to get curious about what you're feeling. You get to create space for change. Brene Brown, who I'm sure you've heard of, she's authored, gosh, I don't know, four or five books now, and she's a research professor at the University of Houston. And she said in an interview that was published in Mindful Magazine, this is a quote, where there's no vulnerability, there is no ownership. And that's where people keep making the same mistake because no one's willing to dig in and talk about it, shine some light on it, pull it apart and figure out what's going on. She says the easiest way to think about vulnerability is the willingness to show up and be seen when you cannot control the outcome. Mm. That's awesome. And what I think is also interesting about that is we can never really control the outcome. Life is not controllable. And yet in only certain circumstances, that lack of control over the outcome feels frightening, feels vulnerable. And that's mostly in personal relationships because we're risking having our feelings hurt and we don't like that. It's so important when it comes to recovering from cancer to sit in that space because that unknown is very real. That feeling of what in the heck is going on? Everything feels different and you cannot control the outcome. The uncertainty is just boom in your face. And I would say honestly, it's even amplified at this point where there's so much more uncertainty just than dealing with cancer, right? So it's kind of a double whammy. If you're going through and recovering from breast cancer right now, there's just a tremendous amount of uncertainty. And you start to feel things bubble up when you're in that space. And I hear from women all the time, I'm feeling overwhelmed. You know, I'm feeling fearful. I'm feeling really scared. But they also... Follow that up with, but I want, I'm staying strong for my kids. I'm staying strong for my spouse. I'm staying strong for my family. And we think that staying strong, that strength means keeping a lid on it, being a warrior. And I'm, I'm telling you, just like that sneeze, that lid will blow at some point if you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable, even just with yourself, privately with yourself. And that's a really good starting point. Giving yourself permission to feel the pain, the fear, shed the tears, and just figure out what's there. Be curious. It's okay. You know, we women have this tendency to feel like we have to take care of all the things. And for most of us, especially if you have little children in the house, that's very true. Not the part that you have to take care of it, the part you tell yourself you have to take care of it. So when you're not feeling up to all the things, you start to feel guilty that your partner or your kids or someone else in your life has to pick up the slack for you. So you try harder to keep it together. And then in recovery, you even try to make up for it. Think about that. You try to make up for the fact that you felt like crap when you were being treated for cancer. I mean, what the heck is going on there? So in that same interview I just referred to with Brene Brown, it was called Why Vulnerability is Your Superpower. Dr. Michael Jervis shares a story about a Zen principle that's an analogy for relationships. And in that story, he says that there are two people, each carrying two buckets of water. 
And it's okay for either person to put down one or both of their buckets at any time. But if they do that, the other person has to pick up whatever bucket they put down and then carry that along with the two buckets they already have. And this exchange of one or both buckets goes on as long as each of them agree on who is able to carry what in that moment. And essentially, I think that's so beautiful because it is the nature of any relationship. Friendships, families, romantic relationships, it's not that everyone carries an even load at all times, but that partners, friends, people in relationships pick up where the other one leaves off. And we juggle the burdens of life as we go through it, depending on the capacity we have to carry at that time. So in that article, again, I love that article, and I'm sharing the link with it in the show notes so that you can read it for yourself. But Brene Brown shares how her and her husband, depending on what they're going through, will say to each other, hey, I've got 40% today. And the other might say, oh, no worries. I'm feeling good. I've got the other 60. Or there are times when they each admit that they're only each capable of carrying 20% of the load. So when they say that out loud, it's like an understanding they have between each other. You know what? We're both struggling right now, so we need to slow down and be gentle on each other because we're both at 20% capacity. I thought that was a really beautiful example of vulnerability and of true balance in a relationship. You know, that openness, that understanding that every human is in a different place at a different time, a different day, a different part of the day. You can feel one way in the morning and feel differently in the afternoon. So it's not that someone has to be thinking that there's making up to be done or that anyone should be afraid of letting the other know that they're just not up to carrying an equal share right now. I think that that's definitely more realistic than saying, Everything is 50-50 because telling yourself, giving yourself that expectation that everything quote unquote should be 50-50 can lead to a lot of disappointment and guilt and feelings of overwhelm. But it's not only the idea of shifting whatever responsibilities exist between you and your support people, even if your support people are kids, you know, kids that are old enough to understand and help out, of course, not little tiny kids. But when it comes to vulnerability... It's also the way you think about strength and the fear of opening yourself to someone and being rejected or dismissed when you let them know that you can't keep carrying all the buckets, at least not right now. That's where the courage comes in. That's where the bravery comes in. This stuff is not easy. And we should never tell ourselves it's easy because we're lying to ourselves. You know, it's work and you have to put energy and effort into it. But I'm going to give you a couple of important keys that you can use to begin to allow yourself to be vulnerable and to take that brave step to opening yourself up to the other people who are the champions in your life. So first of all, it is helpful to get some clarity on your own feelings. You really have to practice. It is a practice, meaning you've got to do it over and over again, allowing yourself to feel and understand what you're feeling. And one of the best ways to do that is to write stuff down. Honestly, I know I've said this so many times on the show and it seems so simple, but it makes all the difference in the world. Writing down what you're thinking and experiencing might first cause a lot of resistance because, you know, our brain 
our brain resists change. Our brain is there to protect us. And when you're about to do something that puts you in a vulnerable position, potentially opening yourself up to some emotional pain, even if it's just coming from you, can cause your brain to resist, right? Look for every reason not to do this. Because when you write things down, you make them real, and then you have to face it. And you also have to be present in order to do that exercise. So I talk about getting clarity and understanding what you're feeling. And you might think, what does that even mean? I'm feeling scared or I'm feeling like sad. But where's that really coming from? What thoughts are happening that are causing those feelings? A lot of times that will be met with the phrase that I'm going to talk about in a minute that is one that we want to take off the table when we're doing this work. Because you want to sit, become very present, and it's just that sitting, being in the moment, bringing your brain to the present moment, which takes practice because, again, your brain will resist and try to think about a hundred other things. But it's in that sitting that you actually get to figure out what you're thinking and what you're really feeling to get to put a name on it. So the one phrase that I like to offer that you take off the table when you're doing this kind of work, when you're doing self-discovery, is the phrase, I don't know. I don't know is a dead-end phrase. So when you're having trouble getting clear on your feelings or what your needs are, and you hear yourself thinking or saying, I don't know. I don't know why I feel like this. I don't know what I need. You need to stop yourself there. It's part of the training. Stop yourself there and try another approach that will leave more space for curiosity. So for example, replacing the phrase, I don't know with, I'm working on getting more clarity. Or even starting with saying, you know, I'm not really clear on what I want right now, but I can think of things I don't want. I know what, what feelings are making me not feel good, what thoughts are making me not feel good. What situations are making me not feel good? And I can put those down. And so at least that's a starting point where you can begin eliminating things, which is better than throwing up your hands with an I don't know, right? I don't know kind of stops you dead in your tracks. So we want to try to avoid using that phrase when we're working on some self-discovery or getting to a point of vulnerability. Because when you can do that and sit down and really get your head around your thoughts and your feelings, and you begin to feel confident in your own feelings, then being vulnerable comes from a place of sharing what you're feeling rather than seeking some kind of solution or resolution or some kind of soothing from someone else. So you don't need someone else to validate you're okay when you're in that space. You're just sharing what's happening. And once you're confident in your own feelings, it's easier also to ask for what you want or to let someone know what you need. And when you can do that, it diffuses a lot. It takes fear kind of out of the equation because you don't leave someone else telling their own story about what's happening with you, right? You're able to express what you're feeling and you're able to express what your needs are. And that's a vulnerable place to be. And now you can talk about how those needs can be fulfilled. And that also doesn't leave the other person holding the burden of how to fix you, right? So it's a much healthier situation. You just open that space for connection by knowing what you're feeling and being able to confidently express that. 
And then someone else can connect to that and get a better understanding of you. And you also don't have to do everything right at the start, right? You can practice being vulnerable with small things, kind of test the water with yourself and with others. Have some empathy for other people's fear of your need to change and consider the trauma that they may have gone through with you and the fear that they may still be processing also. Your ability to connect with them over little things, it lays the foundation for the bigger stuff. It establishes trust. It establishes connection. So let me give you an example. You might start off that vulnerability with, you know, sharing something like the bucket story and then saying, you know, and I realized that I don't have the energy right now or that these things came up for me while I was going through cancer that I haven't really processed or didn't even realize I was feeling until now. So you can start with smaller things and move into the big life things like the, you know, are you afraid I'm going to have a recurrence or I have fear of a recurrence. You know, anytime we bring up the discussion of loss of life, of potential death, people get very scared and want to shut down. But if you open that space and you create a safe space for it, then you can eventually move forward to talk comfortably about the bigger things. So many things are a process. And I actually think that going through the process of easing into strengthening connections and revealing your most authentic self to yourself and to others, it's awesome. And all those little 1% changes, those small shifts, they add up over time and they result in creating really big change, really awesome change. And then one day you can look back and you see how far you've come and it's shocking because you can remember when you weren't even sure what you were feeling or why you were feeling it. And then you can find yourself on the other side of clarity. And that's a really cool place to be. And it's just a matter of you doing the work on the way you think and the stories you tell yourself about what's happening and what to expect from life and from other people in your life. The article that I mentioned a minute ago on surviving cancer that was published by Stanford Medicine said that when a potentially fatal illness is not dealt with effectively by patients, family, or friends, Emotional problems will inevitably mount and social fears will continue to fester. But if the threat to life by disease is accepted, understood, and dealt with, life, not death, will be the winner. Unquote. I love that because so many times we don't want to talk about the hard things, the deep, tear-jerking things because we're afraid of what might come up that we might cry, that we might look weak. But thinking about it in different terms, thinking about talking about these hard things, allowing the emotions to surface as part of the process of processing the things for yourself with your loved ones so that life is the winner. That's motivating. And that's worth the risk, don't you think? It's worth the risk of vulnerability, of taking the chance that it might be uncomfortable, but what's the worst thing that can happen if you're uncomfortable? As you just feel the feelings that are uncomfortable. I mean, it's okay. You'll live through that and you'll come out of it on the other side. So in summary, some practices for you. Spending time in silence, journaling, 
getting very clear on your feelings, getting very clear on your needs and desires in life so that you can confidently talk about them, knowing this is a brave step, knowing you have nothing to apologize for when the tears start to come. That's just emotions and you're a human and we're emotional creatures and that that vulnerability creates the space for deeper, stronger connections because it allows other people to be vulnerable with you. It's a safe, beautiful space. Well, I hope that helps you. And I also have a very big surprise for the first time ever that might help you also. You know, recently, this is week two of my 10-week coaching program, Revivify. And while I was doing the Revivify webinar, I got some really interesting feedback. And I thought that it might be helpful for people to have a chance to check out some of the four pillars of recovery. I heard a lot of great feedback from the discussion we had about them in the webinars. And so I put together a new course called the Breast Cancer Recovery Course. And the Breast Cancer Recovery Course is a sneak peek really into Revivify. It's some of the key modules from the four different pillars, release, renew, regroup, and revive. And it gives you some of the lessons right out of Revivify with the videos and the PDFs and the downloads. And there's a private Facebook for the Breast Cancer Recovery course, a private Facebook group where people can interact. And it's a really cool course that helps you begin to start a foundation for your recovery, taking a deeper look at how you're thinking at about approaching intuitive eating, you know, changing your relationship with food, looking at some of the painful emotions that you're holding on to and can release, and also about building champions and looking at the way you want to move forward in your life. So it's all here, this neat little package, and you can check it out on my website at thebreastcancerrecoverycoach.com forward slash BCRC for Breast Cancer Recovery Course. So I hope you check it out and I hope that you love it. I look forward to hearing what you think about it. And don't forget, you can always come to Facebook, find the Breast Cancer Recovery Group. It grows daily with so many wonderful survivors looking for encouragement and support in creating the life they want to live after breast cancer. You can find that on Facebook, the Breast Cancer Recovery Group. All right, well, be good to yourself. Practice creating a safe space for vulnerability and connection in your life. We need it now more than ever. And I'll talk to you again next week. You've tamed the voices in your head. You've put your courage to the test. Laid all your doubts to rest. Your mind is clearer than before. Your heart is full and wanting more. Your future's at the door. Give it all you got. This is your moment